with crypto in particular, I think one of the most unique things is the fact that the networks themselves are built to be peer-to-peer networks, right? So when you run a node, that node has been built to run on your machine with one user and then connects to a series of other nodes and, and talks to them. When you have services that are providing data off of these nodes, then you have to find a supporting technology to, to make that work at a service level because you're not going to get you know a lot of people connecting to that one node. My name is Christopher Brown, and I'm a co-founder and CEO of Zabo. This is Code Story, a podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Lapart, and today how Christopher Brown was inspired by Ethereum to create the plaid of the cryptocurrency world. All this and more on Code Story. Like many tech founders, Christopher Brown has always tinkered with computers by building them and creating websites. However, he struggled through his life to figure out which area he was passionate in. He joined the military out of high school and now is married with five kids. He and his wife focus a lot of their time on family activities, be it basketball, hide-and-go-seek, watching movies, or just simply laughing together. When Ethereum came out, he was instantly hooked and found inspiration in the historical marker that cryptocurrency was making. In getting involved, he found that he had difficulty keeping up with who was building what in the space, and he could only imagine how hard it was for outsiders to keep up. This inspired he and his co-founder to build Zabo, which connects any app to cryptocurrency via an API. So Zabo, it, it connects any app to cryptocurrency, and we do it by, via an API. So any developer that would like to pull in, at this point, cryptocurrency data, for instance, they can use our API. Where we, where we look to have an edge is we normalize the data structures that come out of our API from its source. So when it comes to cryptocurrencies, all of these networks have different protocols, different input-output structures. And then a lot of people are holding crypto inside of these exchanges like Coinbase, Gemini, these guys. They have APIs to access and, and provide data, but they're all unique. And so we make the connections to all these. We, we connect directly to the Bitcoin uh, network. We'll connect to Ethereum. We'll connect to exchanges and we'll source that data from them. And then our output is a normalized data structure across the board. So you can really automate processes with that data on top of us. We got out of that because, you know, when, when Ethereum came out, there's just so much to do. I mean, there's just like new stuff every day and it was very tribal and you just saw many people doing many different things. And it's like every day you wake up and you're like, oh man, that's a new project, it's like new project on new project and it's hard to keep up. I knew if I was having difficulty keeping up with who was doing what and I'm in the space, then I could only imagine what the thought process is of not only a developer, but product managers outside of crypto who, who see that it's, a, it's an important technology and, and maybe an opportunity. We're really kind of setting out to organize and uh, make crypto more accessible to non-crypto. And, and, and then we have the side benefit is it, is it does help cryptocurrency applications and companies as well. 
it's important to organize this infrastructure that we call cryptocurrency and, and make it accessible. That's what we're, we're trying to do at Zabo. So uh, being a tech guy, I'm familiar with Plaid. It sounds like you're the Plaid for crypto. Yeah, very similar. We welcome that kind of parallel. I would say, you know, there's, there's a few nuances um, that doesn't make it a direct kind of parallel. I think the biggest one is just the the fact that the source of value data, if you consider like bank information as data about people's value, you know, you're talking fiat currency and, and bank accounts with balances and transactions. Cryptocurrency's got added variables in there where you have different types of value and then that value is represented in different forms. And so it's like, it's taking that that model and applying it to this new financial infrastructure that that needs organization. Definitely like Plaid uh, when you look at it at uh, the value proposition. Tell me about the MVP. Tell me about how long it took to build, what sort of tools you had to use to build it, and tell me about that process, getting it off the ground. Zabo is our third iteration really on on this track that we've been on. We started off where we were going to do this for banks directly. Obviously, that's that's a very steep uphill battle right now. And so we started contemplating how can we take this directly to retail and and just make it available to consumers, you know, get them to kind of have something along with things like Mint or TurboTax or whatever applications they use to organize their finances. As we were exploring that, we found this bottleneck. This this bottleneck is the same across the board. Any sort of crypto tax application, any sort of financial dashboard, everybody's doing this where you're trying to build connections to these sources of crypto yourself or you're looking for solutions. And there's just not a comprehensive solution out there that can take that piece of development off your plate and help you focus on your core proposition, whatever that is. So we landed on MVP because of this bottleneck of making these connections. We, we use various technologies, I guess, when it, when it comes to like languages and, and frameworks and stuff. We landed on Golang. It's a, it's a nice language. It, you know, it has its, its downsides, but it's one of those things, if you look at how Google put it together and you see, you know, they, they brought these guys, you know, Rob Pike, Ken Thompson, and, and, uh, and designed this thing with some programming language heavyweights. It's just really nice for networking and, you know, for fast iterations. Scaling is important for us and security is important for us. So I think infrastructure as code is is a super important concept that, that we've been able to make available over the last few years, things like Terraform. The better that you can have consistency there, the more security you can bring about at the networking level. You know, I, I have an aviation background. Part of the work that I did was in aviation. And, and one of the things that, that's clear when it comes to aviation safety is is you try to remove the human element as much as possible um, because we just make mistakes. We overlook things. Um, and that's why they have a heavy focus on procedures, checklists, crew resource management, where you have people double checking your work. Being able to automate things like infrastructure is important because it's less room for overlooking when you have a consistent build and then you throw things like Docker in there. That itself is building your code base consistently across the board. And so we're very focused on automation from the time that you commit to the time it goes into production. We, we try to automate as much of that as possible. So when you're building the MVP, 
right? You have to go through a process of, you know, everybody's feeling, how do we get this out as fast as possible? So the, you know, the market can use it. So you got to make certain decisions and trade-offs while you're building that MVP. So dive into those a little bit. What, what decisions and trade-offs did you guys have to make in the short term as far as feature cut or technical debt or things, things like that? And how'd you cope with those? My, my oldest son, Jacob, he's very detail-oriented. He's gone through this process where he started a project and then he's got it completed up to a certain point and then starts another one. He gets himself bogged down in details. He's very detail-oriented and, and a bit of a perfectionist. And, and one of the things that I've learned and that I try to convey is, you know, no one sees the perfection of something that's done 50%. You know, if, even if it's perfect, if it's not 100% available, you know, if we build this thing and those endpoints don't open up to the public, nobody cares how perfect first 50% of our build was. The trade-offs are really kind of understanding what is MVP to the intended user and beelining it to that. I have a very difficult time doing that myself. That's one thing that I think I'm trying to focus on is not over-engineering and, and I think it was Matt Center you had on before and he was talking about if you can't build it in two weeks and then you've got too much going on. You know, I really kind of connected with that because you can really spend a lot of time and resources on something that ends up not mattering. And that thing could be really complex, right? And so it really kind of sucks up the amount of energy that you could really put into something that matters. For us, MVP was like, let's get these endpoints open and offer the data, you know, offer the product and let them tell us it's not enough. And then when they tell us that, ask them, you know, what's missing? That was tough for me because especially in crypto, like, you know, crypto is meant to be transferred between individuals in a peer-to-peer -peer way, right? There's this concept of decentralization versus centralization. A lot of crypto people really knock on centralized services, and, and rightly, rightly so, because centralized services will go down from time to time. Um, they are subject to regulation and things like that. You have people of different political kind of backgrounds and beliefs, but overall, I tend to agree that people should have as much control of the things that they own, especially their own value, as much as possible. But I just don't think we're there yet as a technology. I'd like to get there. I say that to say, you know, we built totally de decentralized functionality in Zabo early on. And that got the attention of all of about three people. Whereas we have companies, you know, with lots of users that, that have specific requirements that just aren't being met when we spend a lot of time building something that, that might be useful in, in five years. And that, that leads me to one of the kind of more important concepts that I've learned along the way. Uh, we were in a conference put together by one of our investors and, and he was talking about the possible adjacent. If you look at a graph with an X and Y axis and you, on the one axis you have society and their appetite for technology and then on the other axis is how far along technology is. There's this range where people have accepted the technology for where it is. And so things like the internet and iPhones and, and things like that, they're within society's appetite. But then when you start getting into things like fully decentralized transfer of cryptocurrency across, you know, payment systems, one, the technology is not there yet because we can't scale it. But two, you know, are people really ready to come off the U.S. dollar in their bank account and do that in the developed world, at least now underdeveloped, you know, economies probably much sooner to do that. But the idea is if you get too far ahead of yourself, then, you know, you're going to run out of runaway. You're going to burn yourself out developing really complex workflows that society just wasn't wasn't ready to to adopt yet. And so that possible adjacent is not being so much within the range of technology that you're, you know, you're trying to go up against something that's already been accomplished in an unintuitive way. 
versus, you know, building something that that's a little bit farther ahead, but not so far ahead that that society won't accept it. And so I think that's just what we're trying to do with crypto in general is work along that quote unquote possible adjacent and not get so far ahead of ourselves and, and get people into this thing. No, that makes a ton of sense. It's early for the world to be jumping into decentralized everything, right? Into blockchain, everything. And you could build a tool that takes advantage of the cutting edge, but people may not be ready to use it yet. So it makes it it makes a ton of sense to look at it, especially in the in the world that you're playing in. So I, I totally appreciate that. So you built the MVP, you got the MVP done. How did you progress the product from there and mature it? And how did you go about that process? And I'm, and I'm looking primarily at roadmap. Like how, how did you figure out what was the most important thing next to build? And maybe you, you touched on it a little bit with some of these larger customers that had a lot of users that needed specific things. So walk me through that. It's very much a feedback oriented at this point. We're right in the middle of, of this process right now with a couple of features. For instance... You know, right now, our system is completely de- designed around the concept of an account so that it is kind of consumable by primarily financial application. And an account can be, you know, if somebody connects what we call a MetaMask wallet or if somebody connects a Ledger hardware wallet or their Coinbase account, that's that's an account in our system. And so everything works through that. We don't just throw like a um, bytecode at you off of uh, Ethereum blockchain if you query for a specific address. We, we try to put it within the context of a user showing up and connecting a wallet, and then all the data is derived from that, whether it be what their balance is at a certain block, whether it be what transactions they've done. And again, the output is agnostic as to what, what type of account is connected. It just, it'll give you the, the information that you want in, in the same form every time. We have a couple of, of folks that, that came and they, and, and they asked specifically, like, we just want to query Bitcoin, for instance, or we just want to query Ethereum directly. Like, we don't want to go through this process of connection where somebody shows up with a wallet and then they go through our full authentication scheme and, and do the same thing that you would have to do if you're connecting a Binance account, for instance. We just want to query this public data that's on the public blockchain directly with, with this address. That's one of those things where we've had enough requests that's important enough that, that we need to do that. That's one thing that we that we put on our roadmap. It's actually slated to be out on our next release. I guess that's how we kind of go about putting stuff on a roadmap. It's, it's very feedback-oriented. We've done a lot of iterations without enough feedback. That That's where we've kind of landed on this process. Certainly not perfect, still not perfect. But yeah, again, just kind of going back to the engineering energy, there's only so much. You, you have to You have to be spending it in the right place. Well, how big is the team right now? And that, that could be full-time team and contract team. How, how big of, or is the amount of people you're working with right now? We're about seven or eight right now. It's kind of fluctuating because we're evaluating some some potential hires. but And then also we're trying to balance with the current economic situation, of course, right? We were slated to push up our headcount, um, and, and we've tampered that a little bit just to kind of see how customers come out. But yeah, we're about seven or eight people right now. Tell me about how you built that team. Walk me through that process. And and what did you look for in those people to indicate that whether they're a contractor or full-time, that they would be the the winning horse to join your team? I definitely like getting my hands dirty on when it comes to work, like, you know, let's just do it and see what happens kind of thing. And, you know, that's that's the kind of approach that I've I've taken with pulling in the people that we have. I think you know, there's there's been a couple of bumps along the way with doing that, but 
We've ended up with a solid core group. I think the biggest thing that matters, especially more people can understand it in this quarantined environment with remote work, is, you know, you really have to find people that are intrinsically motivated. I can offer something that's worthy, like, um, you know, a, a cool project. But ultimately, you know, everybody has to ha has to be attracted to the project and have their own kind of motivation on, of taking part in, in, in doing it. So a lot of focus on like self-motivation, independent thought, ideas, bringing something to the table and heavy on the execution. I say light on the credentials, but like that doesn't mean no credentials. Obviously, you know, beforehand we evaluate like what's the work experience in the, in the history, you know, what, what's education what leads them up to a point of worth evaluating. But once we get there, it, at least on the engineering side, you know, I focus a lot on the engineering side right now because we're in that MVP stage and we haven't really pushed kind of the software side of the, of the business. My co-founder, Alex, is really focused on the on the kind of the softer side of Zaba, so to speak. It's tough to ramp that side up with heads until we, we get a product that's found product market fit, absolutely. You know, as far as the hiring process, it's been engineering oriented. And with that said, it's been very much on execution. Like you've you've met a minimum certain set of credentials, like you've worked with Golang or you've been developing for a certain number of years and all that. And then after that, let, let's see what the output is, how clean it is, how fast it is. That makes sense. You, you know, you're you're looking for people that that have enough street cred, we'll call it but perhaps are hungry more than they are a specialist. You know, they've got some generalist tendencies that are going to jump in and be excited about the product, can jump in and be agile in whether it be technology or approach or anything like that. And you're looking for those types of people. Is that right? Yeah, especially at this stage. We certainly want to hone that a little bit once, once we expand, so to speak. I've got a background in security and infrastructure and then of, of course developing and so at some point i can't shoulder all of that stuff so we'll look for specializations as as we need them but yeah at, at, at this point in time that's that's right that's pretty much how we go about it so let's talk about scalability a little bit i know it's still early but as you built the mvp and as you progress the product was it something where you started building the solution with scalability in mind from day one, or is it something that you were fighting as you grew? And that, that might introduce some blockchain kind of thought patterns too of, of how that works. So I'm curious about that. We have eyeballed scale, scalability from day one, just being an API and, and networking between networks. We knew from the get-go that we'll need to be able to scale this thing up when the time comes. And, that, and I think a lot of that, besides the security aspect, I think scalability has a lot to do with with just the automation. Because once you have once you have the processes automated, then then it's easy to kind of horizontally move. And then there's opportunities, kind of vertically, think like caching and things like that, that that help you move along. And we we certainly kind of do those things up front where we can. But with crypto in particular, I think one of the most unique things is the fact that the networks themselves are built to be peer-to-peer -peer networks, right? So when you run a node, that node has been built to run on your machine with one user and then connects to a series of other nodes and, and talks to them. And so when you have services that are providing data off of these nodes, then you have to find a supporting technology to, to make that work at a service level because you're not going to get you know a lot of people connecting to that one node in a scalable fashion unless you plan on running like a lot of nodes on a machine and getting you know people balanced across them 
you know, for that, for instance, we, we opted for uh, a SQL database where we pull the data into a database and then our services are outside of, are, are, are pulled out of that um, rather than the nodes directly. And then that allows us to kind of scale as far as like providing the information. Transactional activity on nodes is still like, that's that's something that's very complex. And, and there's, there's quite a few companies that are doing that um, as a service already. So when we get there, when we get the customers come to us and say, we'd like to, we'd like to move crypto between these accounts that we've connected, it's very much going to be a buy versus build decision for us because I'd like to see a solid solution for that. You know, that, that keeps us developing on the important parts of, of where we can add value. The blockchain is, is incredible, and but it's also built for a specific purpose. Whereas if you're trying to aggregate someone's private set of wallets or, or set of metadata information, it doesn't even need to be wallets, it could be anything. That sort of functionality is not really designed to be on chain. So it makes sense that you got kind of a hybrid there of information storage and then service accessing, transaction flow, things like that. So it makes total sense why, why you're building that that way. Yeah, I mean, and, and cryptocurrency just has this bottleneck issue as it is. And it's, you know, people have been working on it for, for over a decade now. We've got ETH2 coming out. That's really exciting. Scaling is a huge, huge thing that smarter people than me are going to solve this. And, and they might have done it with ETH2. We'll see. So as you step out on the balcony and look across all that you've built with Zabo, what are you most proud of? I think I'm most proud of the grit. Like I said, we've, we've gone through a few iterations to kind of get to where we are now and even where we are right now. The task is, is a complex one. It's not like intellectually kind of deep research complex. It's an API, but the design and, and just overall engineering work is it's brutal. <laughs> and, and to do it as a startup with, with just a couple of hands, you know, everybody on the team has has really kind of done a great job. Davi, he's he's our main front end guy, and and man, he can stop, knock stuff out left and right. Same with Fred, who who works on, on the server with me. So yeah, I would say the thing I'm most proud of is just the amount of amount of work we've been able to um, accomplish, especially over the last few months as we've sharpened our edge a little bit. Organizing this crypto ecosystem and making it accessible in a way that that makes sense to these non-crypto applications and and getting people into the space in a seamless way is going to I hope you know the plan is to unlock this thing that makes it very interesting and and makes thing people like regulators look at it even more seriously than they are now. I guess I'm most proud of the path that we've been on and where we are right now. And I'm very optimistic about the future. Let's flip the script a little bit. Tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it. I think the over-engineering aspect is probably the biggest. Um, I, I say that because that's the one trap as, as a developer and then as a developer trying to put together a company that, that makes business sense. You know, it's one thing to be putting things together for yourself and for friends and for, you know, doing prototypes. There's not that much difference between zero and a good idea. And then there's not very much distance at all between having a good idea and tinkering and kind of prototyping that idea. But going from like this prototype to a production grade system that brings that idea to fruition and do it in an effective way that it makes business sense where you're making money with it. There's a million miles between that prototype and that end. 
I think engineering for yourself is one thing and then engineering for a company is there's just a different set of circumstances that you really have to pay attention to and when you don't do that I think those are some of the biggest mistakes is just spending too much time on stuff that didn't make business sense is there lots of really interesting stuff to engineer on the blockchain and and merging on the blockchain too so you could totally get caught up in that and I think that happens regularly with blockchain solutions or solutions that are in that space we all get jazzed about the tech, but then we lose sight of what problem are we solving? And I think I think that you guys at Zabo are taking a really interesting approach there because you are you are engineering really interesting technology, but you're solving a problem too, the con- connectivity of across a lots of different wallets. So that's that's really cool. I definitely want to keep that at front and center. So who who influences the way that you work? And it could be CEO, CTO, COO, or really really any person. That it could be um, anyone that you know. Name a person you look up to and why. Rebecca Brown, <laughs> my wife. Uh, she she is, uh, and I say that because she's nowhere close to engineering, and she's got just the strongest uh, personality and very uh, resilient. She's she's patient. When I, when I kind of dive in and kind of engineer for sometimes days at a time, right, and, and work with the team, I'm designing things and trying to figure out problems. And then when I come out, like, you know, there's, there's no resentment, there's no impatience, there's no kind of like, well, while you've been doing that, we've been doing this kind of thing. It's, she's just always a, a bright, happy person to kind of have a best friend as. Yeah, I mean, I th- I'd say she's my biggest inspiration. On the tech side, you know, I think probably the greatest technologist that we have right now is, uh, of course, Elon Musk. We were making a joke this morning. I said, uh, you know, eternal life, there, there can be a greater probability of eternal life than not. The answer is to become cryogenically frozen and wait for the second coming of Elon. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> <That's funny>. <laughs> <laughs> if you could go back to the very beginning... What would you consider doing differently or where would you consider taking another approach on? I'd probably spend more time networking. I went from kind of a very secure day-to-day work. You know, when we got to a position that the family was ready and I I felt ready to dive into Ethereum, you know, I just did it because I felt ready myself, you know, just technically management-wise, I got that stuff under my belt I got the education and the experience, I guess, so to speak, that you need to kind of go out and obtain people's confidence in, in what you plan to do. I figured out that I needed a larger network, I think, to really kind of execute well and, and find the right people and all that sort of stuff. I think the biggest thing would, would spend spend more time getting to know people in the area that, that you're going to go to and use that time, of course, to find the right people or, or network to the right people and figure that core kind of not only idea but that core set of support of friends other engineers or whoever you're going to go to early on to make things happen that would be the thing so you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing they're jazzed about it and they can't wait to show it off to the world to you having gone down this road a bit what advice do you give that person I would say that it's important to always be reflecting. When you have a great idea and and you're ready to go out there with it, you're going to get feedback. And sometimes it's it's not going to be verbal feedback. It's just going to be behavioral feedback or attitudes or whatever. And you got to separate the wheat from the chaff when it comes to to the feedback. You have to have the right right amount of judgment to know what is what is good feedback and what is not. 
the only way you can do that is if is if you allow yourself to kind of reflect on that on a on a regular basis because when you go out there you have to act decisively you have to know what you're doing and you have to gain people's confidence you naturally can get out there and act decisively if you've done the proper amount of reflection that gives you the confidence to do that you have to kind of have that self-awareness that mindset to know that you haven't compiled feedback lately and that you need to do it well christopher thank you for being on the podcast today thank you for telling the creation story of zabo you're welcome and this concludes another chapter of code story code story is hosted and produced by noah labhart be sure to subscribe on apple Podcasts, spotify or the podcasting app of your choice Support the show on patreon.com slash code story for just five to 10 bucks a month. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening. Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money on